HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Cart Driver, Denver's home for wood-fired pizzas, fresh oysters, seasonal market plates, cocktails, and conversation. This week on Meet and 3, meet four of our HRN Hall of Fame inductees. These prolific individuals are writers who have changed the way we talk about food. We'll take a look at the journeys that shaped their literary voices. I was heading off into the unknown to spend my junior year of college in Paris. We'll explore the culinary landscape they work within. You know, it was that whole self-made American idea that you, you can just kind of create a new world from scratch, including a new way of eating. And look at the transformative effect that their work has on what we eat and where it comes from. It gets down to management deciding that humane handling is important. You've got to have management that cares. And if management doesn't care, then you're going to have a bunch of bad stuff. You can learn more about HRN's 10th Anniversary Hall of Fame at heritageradionetwork.org slash hall of fame. And don't forget to subscribe to Meet and 3 wherever you listen to podcasts. That's M-E-A-T plus sign T-H-R-E-E. Hi, I'm Allie Kane. Welcome to In the Sauce, a podcast about building and growing consumer brands. When we launched a line of fresh sauces, I knew we were jumping into something crazy. Haven's Kitchen is a cooking school, cafe, and event space. A product that people buy in grocery stores is an entirely new business, and I had a lot to learn. So in my efforts to get myself educated, I started meeting everyone I know and respect who could advise me on production and distribution, sales and legal, PR, and social media. Then I started having those conversations here, as a podcast, so that other entrepreneurs can learn from them as well. This is the story of Haven's Kitchen Sauces, but it's also the story of every growing brand, because we're all in the sauce. Today, I'm speaking with Emily Schilt, founder of Pop-Up Grocer, a traveling pop-up grocery store showcasing hundreds of products from the most innovative and exciting natural food brands today. With over 10 years of experience in marketing, Emily has helped some of the best brands you'll find in the market, helping with messaging and architecture, content strategy, production, influencer programs, and ad campaigns. A true brand lover, which is like my favorite part. (laughs) Uh, Last year, Emily decided to create a physical space that could connect consumers with everything she loves. And I think she did it so super awesomely smart that I'm so happy to have you here today. Welcome, Emily. 
Oh, thank you. I'm happy to be here. Um, so before we get into all of the pug-related things and all of your thoughts on brand, which I'm really excited about, tell me, because I remember, like, people who listen to this know that I have, like, a visceral response to Lucky Charms, <laughs> like, or <laughs> Barbie. Like, there are things that I, you know, Josie and the Pussycats. Like, I have things that, like really resonate with me from my childhood. I was always into food, but I was also really into the way that a certain, like I didn't want a Cindy doll. I wanted a Barbie doll, you know? (laughs) And so I guess my question for you is like, were you always like a brand person? Were you always a food person? Like when did you start thinking about this stuff? Do you remember being little? Yeah. Um, I guess I have always been a brand person. I used to wa- I used to beg to wash the dishes because uh-huh. I would like to tell the story of the Dawn dish detergent yes. as well, I was were doing. Probably it. A brand. <laughs> so unfortunately, right. at my heart, I'm an advertiser. Yes, yeah. yes. Um, and so when you would do the dishes, you'd be like, "My dishes are sparkling clean." Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Look what Dawn does <laughs> compared to the competitive twinkle, brand, twinkle. competitive brand. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. And so, where did you grow up? I grew up in Maryland, Uh um, just outside of Baltimore. Yeah. And did you, like, were you, were you like a theatrical kid or were you extroverted? Were you introverted? Mm. Like, what was your vibe? (laughs) Was I theatrical? Theatrical is one word for it. Um, (laughs) Early on, like elementary school, grade school, I was... Uh, probably a little bit of a kiss ass. Like I was uh-huh. a goody two shoes. Yeah. I got all the gold stars. You were like the lead in all the skits. Yeah. For, yeah. yeah. I got all A's. Yeah. Um, and then I think I learned somewhere that that wasn't that fun. Right. So I switched things up, uh, for a while <laughs> in my high school years. Okay. Um, and we then somewhere, yeah, we don't need yeah. to get into that. Um, <laughs> and then somewhere along that path, learned that wasn't the way either. And right morphed into the responsible, uh, tax paying adult that I am today. (laughs) And did you, what did you think you wanted to be when you grew up? Oh God. Um, nothing close to what I, well, there is no like pop-up grocer founder. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, my dad was a lawyer, Uh so I had somewhat of a conservative traditional, um, A career model, but then my mom was an acupuncturist. Oh, so I also had a very alternative, yeah. non-traditional role model too. That's kind of cool. So, but both entrepreneurs, but right. I mean, both um, are both uh, worked for themselves yep. and ran their own well, businesses. That tends to be there's like some statistic, like for yeah. sure about because you see, you see a certain lifestyle and you see sort of you know there is an advantage. There's there's challenges and it's scary, but there is something where you don't have to say yes to someone who you fundamentally hate, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully. <and> it, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, my dad doesn't have a hundred percent of the best clients, <laughs> right. you know? um, but no, it is interesting that I picked that path because you are uh, privy to the hardships yeah. of it, you know, yep. and the instability and yeah. Um, that certainly was, was a running theme of my childhood, right. uh, but I guess maybe that's all I knew. So, right. When it, when it's full, it's really full. And when it's empty, it's a little scary. Yeah. And yeah. maybe I also came to knew that came to know that that's the constant though, yes. is that, you know, there are highs and there are lows. Yeah. Um, so, so I knew that going into my own entrepreneurship. That's a good, 
It's a because I feel like a lot of the founders in here say that their goal with themselves, and I find myself saying it too, is not to ride, you know, get happy with the highs, but don't ride them too hard, and certainly don't don't take the lows right. as as badly as you do at the beginning. Yeah, I mean, I've had days where I've like gotten under the covers, yeah, and I I haven't had one of those in a while. Yeah, and know? on the flip side of that, when you're flush with cash, you're like, ooh, yeah. new uh, dress, mama's yeah, gonna get herself right. some new shoes, exactly. Yeah. And, and then you're like, you're like whoops, yeah. right? <laughs> no, mama's gonna put that in a savings account. I know. <laughs> Whenever we get like a new account, my kids are like, so are you going shopping? I'm like, oh no, 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 no. 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 I'm investing in merchandising. Right. Right. <laughs> Would you like to talk about what demos are? Yeah. yeah. Well. So did you know a little bit? Like in college, did you know you wanted to end up working for yourself or did you think at that point you were doing marketing or like what did you go in to study? Um, in college, I, I went to a liberal arts school, so I got a really well-rounded education. Um, what but was I, your major? I did study, yeah, I did study business, uh-huh. um, though I nearly failed economics. I failed so. economics. <laughs> Wait, who have doesn't you heard me on economics? No, you know who didn't fail economics? Someone who was like, I loved freshman year. Someone on this podcast, because I think I say it almost every time on the podcast that I failed Econ 101. Yeah. Not my own fault. It's kind of yeah. mostly. Oh, it was definitely I, the I teacher's like fault. For sure, for the sure, teacher, right? Sure. Yeah. And the TA. Yeah. I had a TA who only wore green. Oh, oh yeah. Um, Nobody can thrive yeah. in an all green environment. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> it was in like some cult. <laughs> and like, I was like, I couldn't get over it. Yeah. I was like, why? Can't you just throw in some white? Um, okay, so you had like you majored in business. I did, yeah. Even without econ, you don't need econ for business. Yeah, no, right. um, no. I think the most um, uh, significant experience I had in college related to what I do now would yeah. probably be my internships. Right. I um, I worked for a music organization that provided services to m- musicians in the city of Memphis oh, wow. uh, and helped those musicians with their social media presence. Ah, so that's how I got my marketing right. start was helping them build, you know, a Twitter audience that would then right. show up to their shows. And that was so rewarding for me to watch yeah. their audience go from like three to 20 or and whatever. How did you know how to do that? You know, I was young, so that that's the thing that they give you when you're yeah. young, and social media was this new sparkly tool. Right. Um, so it's like, figure it out. Help these guys figure it out. So cool. Um, and so, yeah, we, we learned it together. And so were you sort of like, okay, this is something I'm interested in, and then after college, you decided to go into that world? Yeah, I think I was interested in it because I had ownership of it, which mm-hmm. is unique when, when you're that young yeah. to um, be given that, that yeah. sense of responsibility and yep. have control over something. Yeah. Um, so that really excited and motivated me. And that's when I was like, all right, I got to get out of Memphis, go to right. a big city and, and pursue this. So you moved from college to Memphis? I moved from um, college in Memphis to Boston. And got then Boston is where I was hired by a tiny little Greek yogurt company called Chobani. I um, didn't know that that's where you were. Yeah, yeah. So at the time... They were maybe a hundred million dollar company. Right. Um, that's still kind of not big. even. I mean, I had to explain to right. people in every conversation what Greek yogurt was. Right. So wow. that's how different the the market was at that wow. time. Um, yeah, they hired me. I was uh, one of the first employees outside of the manufacturing workers. Wow. And um, yeah, I worked there for four years to do social. Yeah, it was sort of an everything. Right. Comms, green. 
throw them in right. uh, person. Oh, that's amazing. Um, I had no idea. Yeah. And then when did you leave, did you leave Chobani to then go sort of freelance or did you go to something in between or? Yeah. I mean, I left and my time at my time there or during my time there, my job was my life. So yeah. I had no idea what I was going to do next. So I just went on vacation. Right. Um, and while I was on vacation, uh, a couple people reached out to me for freelance projects. Yep. And That's how here I am five, six years later. And so, it. yeah, because when we first met, I don't even remember who introduced us, but they were like, you have to meet this person. Because I think there's, I mean, I'm literally going back up to the bio, like messaging, architecture, content strategy, production, influencers, and ads. Like, they're all very different things. You could be good at one of those things and still have an agency, you know? Yeah. But now I guess everyone's trying to be full service and, like, trying to paint the whole picture together. Yeah. It's, um, the term has been overused, so it sounds a little gimmicky now, but I guess I would connect all of those dots by saying I'm a storyteller. Right. I really like getting to the heart of what's compelling about a product, a brand, a person, um, and telling that across, applying that across channels. And I think part of, you know, at least in our case, like we know our story pretty well. Like we, we actually, I think, know ourselves very well. I think our biggest challenge has been getting that story out in a clear, consistent way across the different channels yeah. and getting people to actually be interested in like hearing it or yeah. reading it or anything. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of connecting those dots, I think. I think people try to skip this part, mm-hmm. you know, and go straight to like, everyone should buy our product. Right. But they don't have the why. Yeah. And then there are a lot of people that have the why. We just are tripping over ourselves because yep. we don't have, we don't have the, like the savvy second part yeah no you nailed it that's like those are the two ends of the spectrum I would say that I see in my consulting practice right yeah which leads me to um what do you think you see in that practice or what do you think you see out there you know this is always I'm always just trying to help people kind of save a few months and a couple thousand dollars like that's kind of the goal (laughs) of the podcast yeah great don't bark up that tree you know (laughs) don't you know um so what you know, what, what are people doing well? What are the mistakes that you see? And what are the things where you're like, huh, nice job. And you don't have to name brands, obviously, but Um, just, you know, what, what are the common denominators almost? I think people who really understand their audience and have oriented their business to be audience centric or, you Mm -hmm. know, community centric, uh, are successful. I, I see so many brands that just have no idea who their customer is and that means that they can't matter to their customer. Right. Um, and how would you say, like, do you, are there tools that you think are pretty easy to kind of use? You know, for us, it's, it's, it's almost unfair because we know who our customer is so well because yeah. we're literally interacting with them all day and right. every night. Um, but how, how would you suggest to a brand to really try to figure out who that customer is. Yeah. Interact with them. I mean, mm-hmm. send your product to them, ask for feedback. Yeah. People Talk. are scared to ask for feedback. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's, you know, I, so many founders are, are passion driven. Like they've created their product because 
they were motivated to do so. They personally saw the need for it in the market, but then they're sort of disconnected mm-hmm. from the rest of the user base. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that isolation really hurts them. It's interesting because I, like, sometimes, I don't know if I've talked about this on this show before, but when we, when I first opened Havens, that whole cafe area was a shop because I wanted a place that had, like, really pretty tabletop and good candles and good olive oil and, like, I wanted it to be, like, super curated for, and, and, Basically, what happened was like about a year and a half in, you know, I had my team and I kind of came to the conclusion that that just simply wasn't the way that people were using the space. Mm. They they came after work. They weren't coming to buy mustard. They certainly weren't buying plates after they took a class. But meanwhile, people who were coming in for coffee in the morning kept saying, can you just make lunch? Yeah. We would come back. Can you just make soup? We'll mm. have some soup, maybe a sandwich. And so it was kind of hard. Yeah. I mean, it was like physically painful for yeah. me to like take down the shelves and stop stocking all the beautiful things yeah. that I loved. And it made it really beautiful, but it just, I was worried that I was losing the whole, like the soul of it by mm-hmm. listening too much to what people wanted. Yeah. So there's this like, there's I was, a line there. yeah, I think yeah. of it like a sailboat, you know, you let it out too far mm-hmm. and you kind of like your sails like lufting in the yeah. wind, you bring it in too tight and you tip over. Mm-hmm. So I feel like you've got to listen, you've got to have your founder f- like, f- like fire, mm-hmm. but also just make sure that you're listening to the people that are actually using it. Totally. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I mean, there's a quote, I think it was Jeff Bezos. I'm, I'm not sure, but he, someone much more him. wise and successful than I am <laughs> said that your brand is what people say about you when you're not in the room. Uh huh. And I love that. Cause it's like, I think we, we sometimes go really hard and develop who we are in a vacuum Mm -hmm. and there has to be this balance of yeah putting it out there a little bit really being receptive and listening to how it's being received yeah and then sort of molding and crafting the next iteration yeah with that no even I mean we've just noticed that one of the things that we've had a you know a little bit of struggle with is like the sauce can be used as a marinade, as a salad dressing, as a condiment, as a, you know, cooking. Like, you can use it for 85,000 things. At the end of the day, people just want to know one. Mm-hmm. Like, we were sort of like, and you can use it as an ingredient. And da, 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 da. And at the end of the day, people just want to know that you can squeeze it on your chicken <laughs> and it's good. Mm-hmm. And so all of our, all of our social, all of our sort of anything marketing related we're now backing off of the complicated ways that it makes your life easier and just going into the easy ways that it makes your life easier. But that's the beauty of social media is that you can have a very clear focused messaging, uh, you know, in the hierarchy of that. Mm -hmm. But then you, if for those who want to go deeper, yeah, it's there. Yeah. They can find it through what other people are saying. So is the, is the stuff that you think people are doing well, basically just the opposite of the stuff that you don't think they're doing well, like (laughs) what they're not doing well is that they're in a vacuum and it's pretty and it tastes good, but they're not really right. There seems to be a disconnect. Yeah. I think with food specifically, there's still a lot of health, um, like benefits and attributes and health 
components being marketed as the brand. Yeah. And it's like healthy is no longer a dietary trend. Yeah. It's a dietary standard. Yeah. Like everybody in America wants to eat better. Yeah. Um, so to say that you're free of GMOs, you're free of gluten, right. and you have all natural ingredients, like, That's duh, table that, stakes. The, like, yeah. you, as you should. Yeah. And what else? Yeah. So yeah. Um, it's the what else that, at least in food, people yeah. are really slow to identify. Are there any brands that you think are doing it really, really well? Um, you know, I mean, I think the first one that immediately comes to mind is Recess, which is a... Yep. CBD. CBD, sparkling water, hemp adaptogen, sparkling water. Right, yeah, um, right. Hemp Sorry. extract, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> A little asterisk there. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they've really uh, created a brand around recess as a moment. Yep. Um, and recess is an understanding in today's cultural landscape. Yep. Uh, as, like, something that we need because yeah. we're all so anxious and stressed. Yeah. And so I think immediately their target feels like they get them yep. and then you feel this deeper emotional connection. Yeah. Um, and so it's so much more than just satisfying thirst right. or even giving you like a chill buzz or yeah. whatever effect it has. It's like you're having a real emotional yep. connection and a sense of belonging with something. Um, and so I think that's one. quite a, quite a feat. And then you took that and more, I mean, I think I told you when I got your deck, for a pop-up grocer, I had this, like, I had an emotional response because it's the best deck. I've told you this 17 <laughs> times, like, I've ever seen. I don't know Thank why you. it was so awesome. I don't know why either. It was just kind of like, <laughs> first of all, it was so simple and the font was simple and it was like, here's the problem. You're a brand. You're, like, emerging. The only way that people see you is, like, in this sea of, you know, the shelf at the grocery store or at Expo West. And, like, normal people aren't going right, to Expo yeah. West. So you can either put, like, the money towards this and, like, be on the shelf for a week or a month or whatever right. it is. Or you can pay an influencer the same amount and get, like, three posts. Right. I mean, it was just, like, duh. <laughs> I mean, it was great. And like the well, images you. were great and the logo's great. So, I mean, you're really creating your own brand around this like, you know, keeper of brands yeah. in a way. Yeah. Um, yeah. The master's CPG curator. <laughs> right. I mean, it's great. Um, did you know you wanted to, when did you know you wanted to do that? Oh, n never. Uh, <laughs> like everything in my career, it sort right. of happened accidentally. Uh, no, I mean, I've been ruminating on grocery, as one does, yes. for yes, as one does. five years now. And knowing that there was something missing for me as a consumer in the landscape, mm -hmm. uh, I would travel internationally and be so mesmerized by the grocery stores there. Yeah. And f just felt like I live in the greatest city in the world, quote unquote, and I'm not being satisfied as far as the discovery space. Yep. Um, but then I just, you know, I couldn't wrap my head around the amount of capital that would be required to build an actual an grocery, actual store. grocery yeah. store. And I don't yeah. come from money. I don't know yeah. people with money. And so also I you can't like, have one. I mean, it just, it's one of those things that just doesn't work as a one-off. You just can't make any money doing it because yeah. the margins are so crappy. Yeah, right. And then once I started looking into the business model right. and how broken the system is, I just was like, is this even worth yeah. it? Could I even be successful at this? Right. Um, so then 
on my birthday last year, I was invited to this pop-up shop that was a like a lifestyle pop-up shop. It was Not a Passover. No. <laughs> Mom, if you're listening, no, that right. was for you. <laughs> I should have said it was. Yeah. So. Um, but yeah, it was a it was driven by an apparel brand, but then they had mm-hmm. a bunch of home brands and food brands that participated and overall the concept just um yeah, communicated an aspirational lifestyle that I wanted to be a part of. Right. And, um, I was like, why doesn't this exist yeah. for food? Yeah. Um, and so the light bulb went off, and then I was I hit the ground running. It's awesome. Okay, we're going to take a little break, and then when we come back, we're going to talk all about what makes products special. Tell us more about Pop Up Grocer, and um, what is getting boring on the landscape. This episode is brought to you by Cart Driver, Denver's home for wood-fired pizzas, fresh oysters, seasonal market plates, cocktails, and conversation. Tucked in a 640-square-foot shipping container space in the heart of Denver's Rhino neighborhood, Cart Driver is the perfect place to stop in for an Italian-style spritz, Prosecco on tap, and a wide variety of tinned fish. Open for lunch, dinner, community hour, and late nights seven days a week, Cart Driver is here for you with fresh, domestically sourced ingredients and, above all, hospitality. Learn more at cart-driver.com. Are you enjoying this podcast? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. My name is Dana Cowan, and I'm the host of Speaking Broadly here on HRN. Every week, I conduct intimate interviews with the brilliant, powerful women in the food world. We discuss their lives, their careers, and the ways in which they navigate the world at large. You can find Speaking Broadly wherever you listen to podcasts and on heritageradionetwork.org. Hi, I'm back with Emily Schilt from Pop-Up Grocer. Um, I just got a text from my mom that she is listening, (laughs) which is awesome. Hi, Mom. Hey, Mom. (laughs) Um, Yes, it is sort of like the Passover Pop-Up Grocer, except it's not Passover related. Um, So how did you get it started? I mean, you had, how many brands were, tell me about the first one. Yeah. Tell me about the second one. So I had the idea in September of last year, Mm -hmm. um, and I knew nothing about retail. I've right. never worked in retail. I had, didn't know how to operate a POS. Right. So I was like, all right, I got to do like a low risk test. Yes. Here. So I put together a home, uh, concept pop-up shop within the Hoxton hotel in Williamsburg, okay. um, and ran that over the holidays Oh, great! and okay. learned everything right. um, and learned whether I could even possibly do what I had envisioned for, for the grocery version. Right. Um, and then uh, once I checked those boxes and learned from some mistakes, right. uh, then yeah, I hit the ground running as far as putting that deck together and pitching, you know, initially clients and getting them on board and referrals from clients. Um, right. and then after that, yeah, just hitting up a ton of, I mean, I was getting emails. Can you get me in? Can you get me in? You know, you, it doesn't sound like you had a lot of pitching that you needed to do. It was pretty, yeah. I mean, once I sent the deck, I think the deck definitely did a lot of the lifting for me. Um, And so, yeah, it was, it was a largely positive response. And for us, I mean, for the brands, you know, it's just such a win, win, win because, you know, yes, it's, we have to get, get the products to you. Um, there's no distribution involved, but again, 
you know, and we're getting, I think we get what percent, 80% of yeah, the sales? Yeah, you make sale? 80% of the sales on your product. Um, yeah, so. And then we pay like a basic slotting fee, right. which essentially we'd be paying anyway. Right. So, but it's all curated, it's all in one spot, and you've done sort of all of the legwork to get the press and the influencers right. there. Right. Um, and so, what did, what was the sort of, obviously it was successful because you're doing it again. Um, and you're doing four in 2020. <laughs> so that yeah. sounds like it went well. But what do you think the biggest takeaways were from the experience, both from what you learned about brands and also what you learned about just doing, you know, operating a POS and gathering inventory and dealing with perishables? Yeah. But on the positive side, <laughs> I learned that this hunch I had was yeah. was needed on both sides like consumers were really wanting this discovery space that I wanted yep. and brands really were in need of the exposure and visibility um yeah. at at low cost yep. so so that was great and that was worthwhile enough um I also learned that it is a logistically difficult yes. business um and it's a lot to iron out and accomplish to then close 10 days later. Yes. I mean, we're essentially building a fully operable grocery store For and ten then days. shutting it down, yeah. which is, <laughs> yeah. people would come in and be like, wait, where does all the furniture go? And That's they crazy. couldn't believe that it was temporary either because it, it, it otherwise looks like a, yeah, a beautiful sure. space. Um, so we are trying 30 days right. um, for our September shop to see how that um, duration goes. Uh, also just to understand how then we could have repeat purchasers mm-hmm. and um, how the space might be used differently, whereas in 10 days it's a little bit more like a museum experience yeah. than coming for your gr- for your weekly groceries, yes. which I think we'll then see a lot more of uh, in, a, in a month's right. time. Um, but... Yeah, it was. It felt like a museum experience. It felt like an art gallery. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that you could buy and eat from. It yeah. really did. It was like an experiential art yeah. exhibit, which was very fun. Yeah. You know? And it'll be a little bit more experiential um, in September also because we are going to integrate sampling. Right. I couldn't figure out how to sample 120 brands in yeah. 10 days, but I think I can do 150 in 30. Yeah. That's <laughs> put a solid good, by the spreadsheet way. Yeah. together. Yeah. <laughs> Lots of Excel. Yeah. And then in terms of who thrived there and who didn't, what were the big takeaways for the brands? I didn't, it's funny because like I, I'm happy we were invited back. I assume that means we did well. Yeah. I, we never really even talked about yeah. it, you know? Yeah, no, you, you yeah. did well. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> you did. Um, the brands, I think the brands that, that did well, I mean, you have to define well, right. but I'd say the brands that were the most buzzed about like over social media or just word of mouth among those who came were really new concepts well the Szechuan chili crisp I bet was a winner or like internet sensations that people were coming to the store specifically for like the chili crisp yeah that that chili crisp I had no idea yeah Yeah. no I had never heard of it and of course Maddie was like we've got to get this and you know I mean, it became a thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's a thing in my kitchen now. I can't be without it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But yeah, like popped lily seeds, Mm -hmm. you know, people are like, what is this? Right. Can I get this anywhere else? Gotta put it in my cart. Gotta Instagram it. Whatever. Yes. Got it. Um, 
So, yeah, and then I think ones that have been in the press or people have seen other people talking about, like, right. a recess right. or, um, you know, those sort of buzzy brands. And those what was that well green, like, elixir drink that I think it's a West Coast Oh, you thing. loved it. I loved um, it. Yeah, uh, I want to say Golden. Now yeah, I'm Golden like, Thread. Golden Thread, yeah, yeah, Golden Thread. That was delicious. Yeah. I've yeah. never heard of that or seen it or anything like it. It reminded me of, like, Vitamina Vegemin. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. We'll have them back in the September story, okay, so you so can. They, you so can I think I personally <laughs> helped them with that. <laughs> they can thank me. Yeah. Um, okay, so if you would, if you were advising, so first of all, the brands that didn't quite stand out, are you going back to them and helping them figure out why, or do you think there could you? Could you point to a common theme in those ones? Like, was it just a function of packaging or? Usually it is a function of packaging. Right. Yeah. And it's fascinating to me that that's something that's overlooked. I know. Especially just when you go to a mass retailer and you stand in any aisle and you immediately understand why it's so important. Like, yeah. How does anyone stand out in this crowded yeah, sea of product? Really crowded. Um. But yeah, so usually it is packaging. Um, I think there's so many factors, but in our environment specifically, it could be that like if you're a protein powder, like people just aren't in the mindset, like they still see you and they still register that you're something to pay attention to. But as far as actually like capturing content around you, thing that you want to eat right there, right? Or yeah, yeah, or right, or grab and go and and eat it immediately. Um, Or something that they feel that they could only get at pop-up grocer, then right. that might not be. So, so it's kind of, it's a, it's a complex conversation, right. but more times than not, it is about packaging. So if you are one of the people that listen to this, which I'm gathering are mostly sort of founders and future founders, um, don't skimp on package. It's funny because I go back and forth, right? Like yeah. I met someone who spent, and I kid you not, $250,000 on their branding and they hadn't done like a full IP search. I mean, that's a nightmare. <laughs> like you can't, ha- you can't only have good packaging and not have all of the back stuff taken care of. On the other hand, you kind of have to go out there with at least like the beginnings of something. It doesn't have to be perfect. Yeah. You know, like ours is still, there will be iterations and it will evolve, but you kind of have to go out there with like at least your best foot forward. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a happy medium. Yeah. Yeah. You don't have to spend $250,000. You can spend a couple thousand. You can spend a couple thousand. Yeah. 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 And then if you were advising, uh, a brand that's, you know, not going to be able to sort of pay for someone like you to sort of do the whole architecture and, and really think of the story. Would you, would you recommend just sort of sitting down the founder and the team or the founder and a couple of their like favorite customers? And what questions would you have them ask of themselves to kind of craft that Mm. brand identity? Yeah, I mean, I I run workshops often, and there are a couple exercises that I love. Um, One that's really helpful to getting to your why Mm -hmm. is writing a um, newspaper headline that you would want written about your brand Uh, five uh years from, or one year from now, five years from now, ten years from now. Yeah, Um, I think that really helps establish like the bigger picture objective beyond just 
making it work and yeah. selling some jars of peanut butter. For or the whatever. Chobani incubator, we had to, for the application, we, I had mm. to write the headline. Mm. Mine was, you've unsubscribed from Blue Apron. Now what? Mm. Mm. Thank you. <laughs> that is, I love that, Thanks, actually. Um, Someone was good in grade school, too, I yeah, think. <laughs> I, you know, well, because, you know, what, what was the, I wasn't, I didn't want to be like, this sauce makes your dinner better. You know, like, yeah. it was sort of like more of the why. Like, mm-hmm. I, I know I want to cook. I tried this thing. 90% unsubscribe within six months, but it's like an $8 billion market. Yeah. Where are they going? Mm-hmm. You know, are they going back to takeout? Mm. Are they going back to, you know, what right. are they, how are they eating right. dinner? You know? Right. Okay. So that's one exercise. The newspaper headline. Is there another one? Yeah. Um, yeah. As far as a brand personality, so that you have some character and mm-hmm. distinct tone of voice. Uh, I love the party exercise. What is so, that? So like, <laughs> if your brand walked into a party, <laughs> like, what is the party like? Oh my gosh, who, I who love Who do you talk that. to? How do people talk about you after you've left? Right. What are you wearing? Right. Um, what kind of jokes are you making? Oh my gosh, that's amazing. What if you're like the one who's like, like I was just going to say like, drunk and falling yeah, all over then you know. that's that's your right. sense of you've got a, a yeah. direction for your sense right, exactly. of humor <laughs> that's your brand yeah um no I, that's such a good one I'm gonna do that with my team just for fun I think we all have an idea yeah like I think these exercises are good too because it does separate the brand from the founder which yes. with really small companies can be very yeah. difficult in the beginning you have yeah. to see beyond it's not me walking yourself. into a party yeah. yeah or it could be and that's a decision that you I think that's a strategic decision right. you have to make how much of this brand is is me and how much of it is, right. is outside of me so what are some common threads that you're seeing I, because I would imagine you have how many slots at pop-up so the September store will be just over 150 and brands. how many applications did you get or brands <laughs> that reached out yeah t- tons yeah yeah so what were the what was the common were you like oh my gosh another fill in the blank I can't believe people are still making granola um yeah yeah but they are and we and we have uh, <laughs> yeah. a few amazing brands on shelf like one with grass-fed butter but it's just and grain-free like <clears throat> you know there are people doing innovative interesting things but right. yeah every time I see it just feels it's so crowded and so oversaturated yeah. I just um I wish I wish them lo- lots of luck and what are the theme like what are the things that you feel like are common threads. Like, I like the fact that you said that sort of the, the nons are table stakes at this point. Like gluten-free is not going to be what's going to distinguish you from anything else or, you know, organic or any of those things. So are you seeing things that are, you know, for me, like one of the things I think is very clear is that people are leaning into bold Mm -hmm. flavors. Mm -hmm. Like they like flavor. Yeah. Um, and people are getting more, like kind of ready to taste them. And I think the zeitgeist is very global. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like that's a a good theme. Like I can see globally inspired granola. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I'm sure that's out there. Mm -hmm. Um, But do you have anything like that, that you're sort of like, Oh, this one keep this kind of, it's like writing a term paper. (laughs) This keeps coming up. Yeah. No, I definitely see the trends. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
And yeah, I mean the global f- or the bold flavors is interesting because, like I said, like the chili crisp was a, was yeah. really surprising to me. Um, but I think it speaks to our consumer, which you know is my age, maybe slightly younger, slightly mm-hmm. older, but like someone who has grown up on sushi yeah. and grown up on quote unquote ethnic flavors. Right. But that's really so ingrained into our diets right. now that it's like okay, wh- what else? Again, it's that yeah. like foundational. Right. Um, uh, thing that, that um, we're evolving from, you know? And in terms of, because this, I don't think the question is the same question, although it might be, like, you've seen a lot of granola, but what's getting a little, what do you think has kind of jumped the shark? Like, yet another collagen powder? <laughs> or, I mean, like, what, you know, what do you think has just sort of, like, maybe peaked? Uh, I mean, keto products are real, that's really crowded too. Mm -hmm. Um, and I do ask myself like, just like Atkins and, you know, paleo is not on its way out yet by any means, but you know, it's a a diet, it's a dietary trend, like to, to build your whole business around something that's fleeting is very risky. Right. So if you were launching a brand a food brand today what would be sort of the first three things that you would do Mm. let's say you have your product well make sure your product tastes good yeah that's a good like that is a good one (laughs) a lot of people forget that yeah Yeah. uh and make sure that not just you thinks that it tastes good or your mom or your roommate (laughs) right um and then make sure that there's room for you in the market um, I know. It's funny, too. We talk about that a lot in here, too, because there technically really isn't much room for any of us, right? It's a very saturated market right now, and it's pretty easy to get into the market, you know? But I think one of the things that people, I, I say it a lot on the show, but category, 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 like study those grocery market shelves. Like when we're talking about room for you, we don't mean how many people eat fill in the blank. And if you get some percent of that market share, we're talking about like actual physical space. Who is the buyer that is buying your thing? Where does it go in the store? And is there any actual physical space where yours can replace a couple of things that are there? Right. Right? Exactly. Yeah. And in terms of um, sort of like going back to pop-up grocer, Um, I, I think one of the reasons why I liked the deck so much was also, you said like offline is the new offline or something (laughs) like there was just something like people are getting a little tired of uh, like only digitally native. Yeah. Right. And I think a lot of people are starting, brands are starting to realize they actually have to invest a little bit in stores. Mm -hmm. I think venture people are starting to realize that you have to be omnichannel, Right. right? Meaning for those out there that don't like jargon you can't just be shop up to buy you know swipe up to buy on instagram or only on amazon or only in grocery stores you kind of have to be all of them Mm -hmm. um do you feel like that what's your take on sort of like the general zeitgeist of how of how brands are navigating digital and grocery like we were talking about it before you know, it's expensive. All of it. Yeah. I mean, 
I don't like to use the word hate. <laughs> I really don't like the word omni-channel. Yeah. I just don't even know what it means in yeah. 2019. Yeah. It's um, just a channel. Also, like, you have to be where your customer is. Right. That's what's important. Yeah. So, like, know who your customer is. Know how they, their journey to you and where you can meet them along that journey and provide value. Like, that's your goal. Not just, let's be everywhere. Right. Spray and pray. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then is there a formal selection process like that you have? And let's talk a little bit so that people who are listening can just inundate you with emails. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us how to reach you. Tell us where you're going to be. I know that we're coming back to New York in a couple weeks. Yes. Um, and then I am assuming you are reviewing products for 2020. Where are those pop-ups going to be? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, we have essentially three filters, the first of which is it interesting? Is it new? Mm-hmm. Will people be excited by it? Um, then the second is, does it meet our nutritional standards? Right. Um, and then the third, will it look good on shelf? Right. Will it be contributive to our overall aesthetic and vibe? Right. Um, and we are opening in New York in the Soho area September 20th, and we'll be open for one month through October 20th. And, and if people want to find it, just go to at popupgrocer yeah, on we, Instagram. Yeah, we won't put the exact address up until very close to the date. Otherwise, people will go to a vacant right. store. <laughs> we yes. wouldn't want to do that to you. Yes. Um, but yeah, so that's happening in September. And then next year, um, we're going to L.A. in February. Cool. Uh, and our more than halfway locked and loaded for that one. Cool. Um, and then looking at Austin, Denver, mm-hmm. and back to New York to round out 2020. Why did you choose Austin and Denver? They're key markets for our brands. So our our hope is that we can really take a traveling showcase across the country so and cool. help introduce them uh, to those key markets across the country. Yeah, yeah. that's so um, cool. So, but plus they're also their food-centric cities right. that have a little bit more of a grocery desert yes. situation too, or yeah. at least like a curated narrowed selection uh, grocery store so awesome yeah yeah it's so much fun and so can you just tell me before we go two things one is did your deck just come to you or like did you work really hard on it <laughs> i love how much you love my deck i really love your really deck just like i work confidence. on my deck every day <laughs> it's been like ever all i do is work on my deck yeah i think the argument like the problem identification was easy for me because i work with small food brands, so right. I know their challenges. Yep. And also as a consumer, I knew what I wanted. So I, right. so, so yeah, the, the argument, the framework of it, yeah, was, was fairly And then the logo. I hired a designer who's a friend, also a friend of mine, someone that I trust. Um, I mean, I've been so lucky. Like, yeah. uh, I'm my only full-time staff member currently. I have an army of freelancers, and they've right. all been amazing contributors. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I also would have been lost for finding them if I weren't sort of ingrained in right. this world. Yeah. Or, or, yeah. Yeah. Everyone who's thinking about copying, it's not that easy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just a little right. word to yeah. the wise secret, people. You're missing the secret sauce. Um, okay. So people can find you on Pop-Up Grocer on Instagram. Yes. Uh, 
And do you can people DM you if they want to send you samples or things like that? Or is sure. there a better way to reach you? Yeah, uh, DM on Instagram. That's great. We can also, if you go to our website, which is popupgrocer.co, uh, there's a submission form there and awesome. um, we read each of those. Awesome. So. And then the last question, uh, what's the most fun you've had? Like, do you remember a moment? Was it when it opened? Was it seeing a brand oh. that you've helped? Like just one moment where you were like, oh, I love what I do. I think coming into the physical space in the morning yeah. and just being, and realizing that I had created it like it was an idea that I had and now it was real and it was tangible like I work in digital marketing for the most part and so it's not that often that I really get to touch and feel and be surrounded by something that I've made Mm -hmm. that was cool that was pretty surreal were you really sad when it closed I was so oh my god I was crying I mean I cry a lot but I I was (laughs) it's like post-party depression yeah Yeah. just like wait all of that and now it's over it was a bit of a high too yeah Um, but you get to have the high instead of the drudgery of like continued operating through February yeah you know yeah I also, you know, I work behind a computer most of the time. Yeah. So being able to interact with people in the community, we had yeah. regulars like touch babies, pet yeah. dogs. It I was know. so satisfying and rewarding. I, I still feel that way every day I walk into Havens. Yeah. Seriously. Uh, having that day. physical space is so special. Yep. Agreed. Emily, thank you so thank much you for coming. For I, um, I'm just so into what you're doing. And from the get-go, I was like, yes, I love this, you know. And so it's only getting better, and you're awesome. Well, your um, support means everything. Well, so thank you. Uh, thank you for having us. I mean, it's getting a little competitive, pl- so I'm glad <laughs> that pl- we made the cut. Um, okay, everyone. This was the last episode of the summer season but I will be back in the fall. I have already a really fun lineup of people coming. I will say thank you. Um, those of you who have DM'd me and emailed, because sometimes I'll say like, I don't know who you are, but thank you for listening. <laughs> if there's anything you want me to talk about, or yeah, that'd be great. Um, so a bunch of you actually have, and you've told me who you are and why you're listening. And, and I'm glad to hear that this has been helpful for you. Um, it would be helpful if you wanted to to uh, leave a review or some sort of star on iTunes. Um, that way, other people who are sort of in the same place that we are as we're trying to build these things and build them smart and hopefully without you know losing our sanity or our life savings can um, can also benefit from all the amazing guests that I have on. So thank you for listening to In the Sauce. Jeet, thank you so much for being the great engineer that you are. And I'll be back in September. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without the support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like. 
Tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.